All right. Uh, you know, uh, Pat mentioned last week that he is on sabbatical for the summer and he is uh, uh, going to, there's going to be a rotation of folks coming and preaching. You know, he's on sabbatical, but I've said that the rest of the staff is on sabbatical. And uh, so we get a break from him for the summer, which is nice. You know, one less crazy used to be redhead in the office. And uh, so, you know, pace may go a little slower this summer or whatever, but uh, uh, seriously, on a serious note, be praying for him. Uh, you know, he's been doing this a long time. He's been at this church for 25 years in ministry longer than that. And uh, a sabbatical for him is long overdue. And so would you just be praying for his refreshment, his restoration, just a renewal, all those kinds of things in his, his heart and soul and life. And, and uh, just make sure you're praying for him. All right. Um, you know, if you don't know who I am, I'm a Riverdale campus pastor and um, I've been a part of our church for Mm, almost 13 years now. It'll be 13 years in June in, in various capacities. Uh, but, uh, you know, right now we, we've planted a church in, in uh, the Riverdale, Riverdale area. And, man, God is really blessing and doing a great work there. And so, uh, you know, we're about to enter into a series. Uh, the series we're going into is going to call, be, we're going to call it 12 Habits for Holiness. And uh, essentially, you know, uh, it's summertime. You know, you may have hit up graduations already, graduation parties. Some of you have got some today to get to. Uh, you know, I was talking to Ryan, the youth pastor here. He's been to like every graduation party in Rutherford County. So uh, I, I don't envy being in youth ministry anymore. And uh, uh, good for him. Um, but uh, man, all that's going on you so it, it, it's summertime nothing good on tv uh, a lot of just reset from our normal uh activities you know f- finally no more like procrastinated school projects uh no more parent teacher conferences you kind of get two months of a you know you, kids being at home or figuring out what to do with them and and just kind of reset and that's what we re- really want to do spiritually too we want to reset spiritually uh, it's, it's easy for us to get caught up in the, in the day in, day out, busy life. And, uh, man, just, just we're hitting it so long and so hard that, that uh, it, it, we, we can just kind of get in a rut. And so it, summer would be a great opportunity for us to step back, to breathe a minute, and, uh, and really just to, to, to set some new normals uh, with our spiritual walk, with our, with our relationship with Jesus. And so we're doing this series called 12 Habits for Holiness. It's based on a book by Philip Nation called Habits for Our Holiness. If you wanted to pick it up, I think I, I said we're going to send out a link. Uh, so I hope that someone actually accomplishes that. We're going to send out a link this week uh, for you to, if you want to buy it on Amazon, you can go through it. You don't have to go through it. I know we got some groups that are meeting for the summer that are going through it through the summer with us. But essentially, we're going to do every week on those things. And you're going to find there's going to be weeks on prayer. There's going to be weeks on rest. There's going to be weeks on reading your Bible and worship, uh, all these different things. And so we're going to walk through these habits for holiness uh, this summer to hopefully to re kind of calibrate uh, our rhythms, our spiritual rhythms, and, and really see what it looks like to have the disciplines of a disciple. And, and that's really what, why we're doing the series and, and, what, and what we're doing it for. And so uh, I want to start off, let's read 1 Timothy 4 through 7, and then we're going to kind of talk through uh, uh, some of the reason why we're doing this, okay? 4 through 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This, amen. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. 
For this is the end we toil and strive. Sorry, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who, who believe. A major theme in the entire Bible is godliness. I mean, you read through the Bible, you're gonna hit uh, godliness over and over. So what is godliness? Simply put, godliness is becoming like God. It's being like God. You know how this, you know, when you become a Christian, you know, your justification is all the Lord, right? He saves us, not because of any work in us, not because of any good in us, not because we've earned it or merited it or deserved it. He saves us because of his grace and mercy. And that's called our justification. But once we are saved, once we're justified, we begin a process called sanctification. It's progressive sanctification. So from that point on, we begin to look more like Jesus. We begin to grow to be like Jesus. We begin to love what Jesus loves, hate what Jesus hates. We, we begin to become like our hearts beating as Jesus' heartbeat would be, right? And so, so we constantly are growing in our sanctification, growing in our godliness, and, and, and that's the process we're on. And that doesn't end. It won't end until we're in heaven with him. Matter of fact, like if you've been a Christian for any a number of years, what you look like today on a spiritual level should be vastly different than what you were five years ago. You know, you should have grown. You should be looking more like Christ. You should be more uh, empathetic towards what, the things that Christ is empathetic towards, right? And then five years from now, you should grow more than where you are today. Like it's this process that we're constantly growing in our godliness, growing in uh, our, our relationship with the Lord. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy. Uh, Timothy was like a son to Paul. He raised him up, discipled him, um, and, and sent him out to be the, uh, the pastor of a church in Ephesus. And Paul considered him to be like a son. He cared for him. And so he's writing to Timothy, instructing him on certain things to do with his church. Specifically, uh, Paul begins to write on uh, against uh, false teachers and, 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 and instructs him how to lead the church to more godliness. If you look, what started the passage, the, the opening, we said, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. So this is what Paul, in dealing with these false teachers, he's calling that uh, irreverent, silly myths, that people are coming in. And what was happening in that particular church is that people were coming in the congregation and beginning to teach that true righteousness and godliness is found in keeping the customs and the law of Judaism. So basically, they were going back to the law. They were adding things to Jesus. They were saying, yes, Jesus is great, but to really be pleasing to God and right with with God, it takes Jesus and circumcision, or it takes Jesus and, and keeping the Sabbath, or it takes Jesus and whatever other tradition that they had on, on in that time. And so they were constantly adding stuff to the gospel, to, to Jesus, and persuading these uh, people within the church to follow this, this way. And last week, we kind of broached on the subject a little bit uh, about Paul calling out false teachers and he, he dealt with them very strongly and he told Timothy to deal with them very strongly. And, uh, and so he's again encouraging Timothy to, to deal with these, these false teachers. But I want to reiterate again, false teaching is not just something that happened in biblical times. So we, you have to be uh, on guard of that now. I mean, there's plenty of 
uh, of churches, plenty of teachers that are going to teach uh, false teachings. There's plenty of people that are teaching for their own gain. Uh, but even, even more dangerous than that, because that we can kind of spot that pretty easily. If someone's asking for, a, you know, a jet, we're like, I, I get, all right, I see, right? But when someone begins teaching more on the lines of a moralistic relativism, meaning that they are infusing with the gospel this works-based salvation. So they're saying Jesus alone is not enough. It's got to be Jesus plus your good works or Jesus plus your baptism or Jesus plus your uh, Holy Spirit gifting. And so they begin to add things to Jesus or what they will begin to do as well is they'll say, well, Jesus is real nice, but this is a compartment of Christianity and he's there to really be helpful to you in experiencing your best life now or being more comfortable until you until you die. These are dangerous false teachings that really we have to be on guard of. And uh, I say this all the time. I've said it here before. I said it our, at my campus as well. Uh, you know, especially if you're a new believer, one of the most dangerous places that you can walk into is a Christian bookstore. Because you see all, a, a wide array of things on the shelf and most of it is garbage. Most of it is false teaching. And so you have to be, you have to know, you have to grow in your godliness. You have to grow in your relationship with the Lord. You got to grow in your understanding of the scriptures so that you are able and capable of eating the fish and spitting out the bones. Like if you hear something or something come across, comes across on Facebook or Instagram, you don't just instantly share it because it sounds Christian, right? You stop and think and say, is this right? Is this true? Is this the gospel? And so we are constantly, as a church, growing in that, growing in our godliness, growing in our understanding of the scriptures. And then look, because, uh, you know, so many of our culture are clamoring for that uh, self-help, ear-tickling messages that would just help me in life, but not eternal life. And then look what Paul says. He goes on to say, rather... Train yourself for godliness. The word rather here, he's, he's putting these two things opposed to one another. He, he's taking irreverent silly myths and pitting it against training ourselves for godliness. So he, he, those things are opposed to one another. And, and this can be a little bit complex, so let me kind of help you uh, understand what's going on. Because, uh, again, in our culture, everything that has the label Christian is not necessarily Christian. Everything that has the label as good, uh, wholesome, may not entirely be good and, and, and wholesome. But what we have to do is we have to begin to kind of put it through a filter to say, is this true of the gospel or is it an irreverent, silly myth? Meaning... Does it honor Jesus or does it primarily honor me? Does it help me find life in Christ or does it just be, is it just a self-help kind of thing for my own life? And so we got to begin kind of putting a filter on this. Is the things, are the things that we listen to put into our minds and our thoughts and our hearts and our lives, irreverent silly myths that don't honor Christ and don't lead to life in him? And so this is the things that Paul is putting against one another. A great example I like to tell folks, you know, when we started the Murphy, you know, we started as Murfreesboro campus. Uh, and we, we later became Riverdale once we moved to the Riverdale area, but we launched in North Murfreesboro. We were in Oakland Middle School uh, and um, 
And so we're up there laboring for the Lord. You know, our teams are setting up, tearing down every week. They're, they're, they're unloading trailers, setting stuff up. You know, and at the end of the day, they're putting stuff back in the trailers. They're grinding for Jesus, you know. And, uh, and so we're going to plant this church, and we're all gung-ho, and we're all excited about it. And any church plant guru that I talked with, they would say to you, hey, here's what you need to do. When you launch that church, you need to do some kind of, you need to do like a big series, like a big marriage series or a big parenting series or something like that that is super tractional and, and, and just, just draws a bunch of people in and, and it just helps a lot of people. But y'all know how we do a life point. We started that thing in Romans 5. Uh, Romans probably, not probably, the most theologically dense book in the Bible. We started our church on Romans 5, and a few months after our launch, we're in the beautiful gut punch that is Romans 9. Y'all remember this, some of you who've been around here a long time, right? And so basically, I'm planning a church, and I'm getting up there preaching, and I'm saying, hey guys, welcome to Life Point. And then I'm quoting Romans 9 that says, who are you, old man, to answer back to God? I hope y'all come back next week. <laughs> They're like, we ain't coming back. <laughs> uh, but we wanted to be founded on the scripture. We wanted to be founded on the gospel. And really Romans is, is the, the most elaborate display of the gospel, 1 through 11, that you have in the entirety of the scripture. And so, you know, there, there's several ways that you can go uh, that, that it happens in our culture. Like what can happen? Now, here, here's what a lot of churches do. A lot of people do this. They get their teams together, right? They got a creative team. They get their creative team together. They get their worship team together. They got anybody with skinny jeans and holes in their knees together. They get them together and they say, all right, what's some cool things we can do to help bring people into the church? And someone pipes up, I got it. Won't you, let's do a series on marriage. Yeah, that's great. What are we going to call it? Ah, uh, we'll toss out this idea, this idea, this idea, this idea. Uh, well, let's call it Marriage Matters. Great. We love that. We're going to do, do Instagram posts, and we're going to do a, a banner, and we're going to share this on Facebook, and we're going to make T-shirts and wristbands that say Marriage Matters. And matter of fact, if we get our worship guys to write a song, they get back there, they write a song, they sing, they come out on the Sunday morning, the series starts, they come out, and, you know, their Travis comes out and goes, Marriage Matters. Because marriage matters. <laughs> and they repeat that 10 times. And then the preacher comes out and he's got three points in a poem. His first point, point number one, marriage matters because divorce is expensive. <laughs> marriage matters because you don't want your kids to go to prison. Marriage matters because if it's messy, you won't be happy. Okay, let's pray. Ben comes back out. Let's sing Marriage Matters because marriage matters. You go and you bring people back next week. And at the end of the day, you've taught principles on marriage. But the danger is that you've taught silly, irreverent myths instead of the gospel. And if your people leave helped but not godly, you have failed 
how much different if a marriage series is taught. Marriage matters. And your marriage matters because God has joined you together to be a representation of the union between Jesus and his church. And every moment that you spend strengthening your marriage is a moment that you are advancing the kingdom of God against the kingdom of light. And every moment that you spend renewing your covenant vows and keeping your covenant vows and honoring your covenant vows, you are putting the gospel of Jesus on display for a world with no hope. One of those honors Christ. One of those puts Christ and his gospel as the goal and on display. See, the difference, you can see the difference very plainly, but where it really gets dangerous is when those things move beyond topics like marriage or debt or whatever, and they move into the person of Jesus. And the teaching because it becomes Jesus can be helpful to you. Jesus can help you be more comfortable Instead of Jesus is everything and worth everything, even your own life. There's a difference in the teaching. One is silly, irreverent myths. The other is training in godliness. Oh, we we could be a self-help. We could teach self-help here, but what a waste of a church. What a waste of a gathering. And in the end, what will it have gained us? No, we want to be a people that move towards more godliness. Now, that being said, I say that because for a purpose. We're about to enter into 11 more weeks where you're going to come in and you're going to hear a sermon on prayer. You're going to hear a sermon on fasting. You're going to hear a sermon on rest. You're going to hear a sermon on reading your Bible. You're going to hear a sermon on worship. You're going to hear a sermon on evangelism. And what you might be tempted to do is to take these topics and say, okay, great, I will do these things and it will help me be a better me. That's not the goal. That's not the end. And if you do all of these things and the end of that is a better you, you've missed the whole point entirely. See, we're going to teach these things in the next 11 weeks, and we're going to come out with these topics and begin to hold up the scriptures so that you can see them and you can obey them and you can walk from here continuing to obey them so that you can have more of God in you. Godliness, being like him, becoming like him. The goal is God. The goal is going hard after him to gain him. Not just to help my life be improved or to help me find, you know, better ways to pray or do whatever. This isn't a self-help thing. The, The goal here. It's holiness, godliness, the the gospel. And that's why Paul says for us to train ourselves in godliness. Training is the means, it's the how. For the what? 
The why is godliness. Now, there's danger if you mix those up. Yeah, I know there's a lot of you. How many of you are, are list-taking people? Like you have to have a list for everything, right? Yes. Hey, I know you. You're already, you already in your head are making a list. You're like, okay. He said there's 11 more. I'm going to do 11 boxes. <laughs> and uh, this sermon should have three points. If it doesn't, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to figure out what a third point is. And so you begin, you begin making your list, right? And what do you do? You, you, you say, okay, well, here's what's going to happen. I'm, okay, I'm going to pray. Pray. I'm going to read my Bible. Pray. Read my Bible. I'm going to fast once every couple months. Fast. And then you feel value in your own heart and in your own soul only as far as you complete the list. But the point is not completing a list. The point is what does the list gain you? The list gains you God. You want at the end of an 11-week study to say, I am more like my Father in heaven. I am more like Jesus, my Savior. I am more like God. I'm godly. That's the goal. That's the aim in this. So, having said that, how then do we train for godliness? Uh, you know, Paul says tra train for godliness. The NASB uh, says discipline yourself. Discipline yourself. So that means it's going to take some work. It's, it's going to be difficult. Um, you know, disciplining ourselves, training ourselves in godliness is more than checking a box, getting dunked in a horse trough, putting a light bulb on a sign. All right, I'm good to go. No, it's a, it's a daily walk with God. It's, it's habitual. It's continuing to walk with him on a daily basis, but continuing to become more like him on a regular basis. I mean, it's hard. Discipline is hard, right? I and mean, this is why every diet plan fails, right? By and large, some of you are successful, just not me. People are always bringing free donuts in the office and ruining it, right? But, you know, someone will work real hard at their diet plan, and then all of a sudden they start getting the shakes for a McDonald's french fries and a sweet tea. I got to go, I got to go. And, if, and they're just in the drive-thru, and you bust them. You're like, ah! <laughs> It's hard. Training ourselves, discipline is, is, is difficult to do. You know, the word, the Greek word for training yourself is uh, the word that is also used for gymnasium. So, so it's going to take a, it's a workout. It's going it's to take some working out for you to step into these habits, to step into these disciplines, and to do them. It's, it's going to take some, some work. Discipline is, is hard work, and it's difficult. It's difficult for me. Uh, I'm not going to sit up here and act like I've, I can do all the disciplines and, and uh, I've got this thing figured out. We, hopefully, you know, at, there are times in your life where you put together some kind of spiritual plan and you, you begin to, to do this. Maybe it's New Year's. Uh, maybe it's some other time in your life. You're like, all right, I'm putting together this spiritual plan. And you begin stepping into that. But then what happens? Well, somewhere along the line, we, we, we fail. We fail at it. Here's what I want to encourage you in. 
A, that's going to happen to everyone. As we step into these disciplines, and you're here about prayer, and you're here about fasting, and you're going to say, okay, I can do this. I can do this. I'm going to set a plan. I'm going to do this. There's going to be times where you experience failure. There's going to be times when I experience failure. The beauty of the gospel is that even in our failures, we can turn that into worship because we take our failures, we turn them on their head, and we say unto God, I need you. I can't do this in my own power. I need you to come in and move in me. Continue to give me a great burden for the word. Continue to give me the diligence in prayer. Continue to give me love for the lost. And when we turn our failures into more worship of him, it's hard work though. That's why Paul says, he says, for to this end, we toil and strive. It's work. It's a race. When you run a race, you exert energy. It takes effort. It takes work. Clearly, again, I'll, I'll come back at the end of this, not for salvation, for your sanctification. Now, let's read verse 8. It says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, you can be ripped, you can have abs on top of abs on top of abs. I've got abs somewhere in here. And you can be rich. And you, you can work hard for the things of this world. And none of it matter. And you will have missed the point entirely. Sure, bodily Exercise is good for now, but godliness, training in godliness is good for now and eternity. I recently heard this story. Uh, in the 1800s, there's a, a buggy full of convicted convicts that are on the way to the gallows. They, they're on the way to their execution, right? And here these men are about to be hung for their crimes and they are fighting in the back of this buggy jostling for the for the best seat on the buggy they're about to be killed and they want the best seat on the buggy but isn't this what we do we're heading towards an end and we're jostling for the the things of this world we're fighting for the things that we care about here that won't even be in eternity. We're fighting for our own rights. Don't let someone cut you off in traffic or steal your parking spot at the grocery store. No, we're fighting for these things. We're fighting for things that don't matter. And we could be on a buggy heading to our death, and we're fighting over a best seat on the buggy. You know, we, we sacrifice, we work hard, we discipline ourselves to make this life better. But how much are we putting in to make the next life for the next life? You know, Scripture talks about that all things that are void of Christ will be burned up in the end. I wonder if we laid our life out on the table here, you know, space out day, week, months, how much do we accomplish or do what we do within a month will be burned up in the end? 
How much time will we spend on things that just don't matter? How much time do we spend worrying about things that just won't matter? And the enemy grates at our soul to get us distracted on the things that will be burned up in the end. There's a man, C.T. Studd, which he was a uh, cricket player, which is a great name for an athlete. And uh, he was a cricket player at Cambridge, late 1800s, 1900s, and um, he uh, was saved. And God uh, began to put a call on his life to the ministry and to do the work of God. And he was a phenomenal cricket player and ended up giving up the game so that he could obey God's calling on his life to do, to do ministry. Now today, I quote his name to you, he's not known at all for his cricket ba- uh, playing skills. What he's known for is a poem. And this poem, is a, we're familiar with this poem because we've sung a song that has a part of this poem in it. And I, I want to read it to you. It's two lines, so you can hang with me. It won't, it's not a long poem. I can't do long poems. It's not a long poem. It says this, Only one life which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Let me read it again. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Soon its fleeting hours will be done. Isn't that true? You know, the scripture says about our lives that we are a dew on the grass that is here in the morning and gone by breakfast. What will we do with our days? My campus actually got this first two weeks in a row because I preached it to them last week because I had just done a funeral and it was fresh on my heart. This, this idea, you know, when I go to funerals, it's really, uh, obviously I begin to think about eternal things and I think about the day that I'm laid in a box and people, hopefully people come to, come to my funeral service, but I'm there I am laying and people come to celebrate life and hear the gospel, I'm Lord willing, at my funeral but rarely do I think about that day unless I'm at a funeral. (laughs) And the reality is all of our lives are leading up to what happens after that day. Everything that we do in life that, that, that is for Christ, that is for eternal purposes, those will be the things that we carry with us into heaven. Everything else will be gone. The scripture says, naked we came into the world, naked we will return to the dust. We take nothing with us. Instead, we spend all of our life toiling for a good retirement or Roth IRA or life insurance plans or making sure our kids are taken care of and all of it will be burned up. What have you done for Christ? That will be the only thing you have to show. That will be the only thing we have to show. Our godliness, our walk with him transcends this world. 
then look how Paul wraps up in 10. For this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Two things you see here. One, you see a missional focus. You see there's a live sent um, language here. He's saying that Jesus is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And we know this to be true. As we walk with God, those of you who have been in relationship with Jesus for a long time, you know this, that as you are more godly, it doesn't just affect you, right? It affects everyone around you. It affects every single person around you. Right, So if there's a live-sent component to you reading your Bible. There's a live-sent component to you uh, worshiping. There's a live-sent component to you fasting. All of those things aren't just for you. They don't just end on you. They, they, they go to everyone around you. I, you know, my wife can tell you this. She can tell you that when I'm walking with Jesus, I'm a much greater blessing to my family than I am when I'm not walking with Jesus. When I'm walking with him, I'm more patient, more empathetic, more compassionate, when I'm not walking with him, I'm quick-tempered, quick-tongued. So we know this to be true. As we walk with God, we, we, it doesn't just affect us, it affects everyone around us. And you need to understand, as you grow in godliness, we grow in godliness. As you grow in godliness, I grow in godliness. As you press into the things of God, it blesses the church. It blesses your family. And then the world, as the scripture says, sees the good works that you do for your father, and they praise our God. When you don't hide your light or you don't, you don't cover it with a bushel, when you, when you display it for the world to see, they take notice and they give praise to our good father in heaven. So as we grow in godliness, the world sees a people passionate about Jesus. They see a people that have thrown away the things of the world and are chasing the next one. Now the last little point that I want to close with and just reiterate Our spiritual disciplines, the, 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 the prayer, the worship, the rest, are these spiritual habits, these spiritual disciplines, these things flow out of a saved life. They are things that flow out of a saved life. You know, if you looked at 1 John, it talks about that we obey your commandments and your commandments are not burdensome to us. Why are they not burdensome to us? Because God has changed our hearts. Now, there are some of you in this room that maybe you, you, you got disenfranchised from the church a long time ago. Like you tried it, it didn't work for you, and now you're stepping back in to try it again. But the problem is the, 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 what you result, what you accumulate Christianity to be, is a bunch of tasks, a bunch of checklists. If I pray more, if I go to church more, if I give more, if I, if I read my Bible more, if I fast, if I do these things, then God will be pleased with me. But you are just stacking on yourself a burden that you can't handle. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you can't accomplish the thing that the Holy Spirit has called the believers to accomplish. So you'll pray or you'll try and it'll be miserable for you. Or you'll try to read your Bible. And I just, this ain't for me. 
No. The first part is that you need to be saved. Because the only way that any believer can press into the disciplines of God is that they are filled by the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit empowers them, encourages them, convicts them, grows them. The Holy Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures work together to make us more like Jesus. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, it, it's not changing you. You're just beating your head up against a wall. You first need to be saved. You don't do these things to be saved. When you are saved, you do these things. Now, think about the win here, too, because, you know, in athletics, you know, that Paul is talking about the analogy of an athlete. In athletics, uh, you know, any competition, you know, the odds of losing are actually really, really high. Have you thought about this? You know, we all think about, we gotta win, we gotta win, we gotta win, we gotta win, but in most cases, if we compete in anything, we're going to lose, right? NFL, think about it. They've got 32 teams. Every year, they do summer camps. They, they do, you know, these practices. They do trainings. They, they work out. They do, you know, uh, two-a-days, and they do uh, preseason, and they go through the long 16-week grueling season, and then if they're lucky enough or they've won enough, they go to the playoffs. 32 teams do all that grind and only one winner. Think about basketball, NCAA tournament, 64-ish teams in the tournament. One winner is crowned. Or think about the Olympics. How many thousands of athletes from all over the world come to compete together, but only few medals handled out and very few gold ones. So if you're competing in that, the odds of you losing are pretty high. But here's the beauty about us pressing into the things of God. We're not competing for medals and championships. We're not competing for the glory that this world has to offer. The scripture says that we, matter of fact, as believers have already won. We've already won. If your sins have been atoned for on the cross by our Savior, Jesus Christ, you have won. He has imputed to you his righteousness. Therefore, God looks on you and is pleased with you. Not some future version of you. He's pleased with you now because he's pleased with his son. He's, you have won. Now, what we do as winners, those who are in Christ and we have ultimately won, we then set our hopes on the living God. So our, what we're chasing after is not gold medals or championships championships, what we're chasing after is more of God, more of God in our own lives, more of God in our own families, more of God in our own communities. We pray the Lord's prayer that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we labor and we toil for that aim. We gain God by our godliness. That's why we do it. Because we want him more. We want him more. We want him in our times when we read the Bible. We, we want him when we pray. We want relationship with him. We, we, we want him to be honored with our lives. We, 
We want him to be honored in our relationships, in our marriages, in our parenting. We want him to be honored in our retirement. We, we want him to be exalted with every breath that we take. We want more of him. And so we toil and we strive and we discipline our lives so that we can get more of him, so we can be more like him. And if at the end of the day, if at the end of the day we do these disciplines and all we get is more suffering, praise be to God. And if at the end of the day we do these disciplines and we are frustrated and we're trying to figure out our relationship and with, with the Lord, you know what we say at the end? Praise be to God. And if at the end of our life, if it didn't turn out as we dreamed that it would turn out, if our expectations didn't pan out the way our expectations wanted to do, but we pressed in to more godliness, you know what we say? Praise be to God. Did you get more of him? Oh, you might not have got the house you want. You might not have got the toys that you wanted. You might not have had the... the the, the retirement funds that you wanted, but did you get more of him? And if you did, whatever you did to do it, it was worth it all. It was worth giving up what you gave up to get it. It was worth fighting hard to get it. It was worth saying no to that situation to get it. That's the goal here. The goal is God, being like him. So my prayer for us, LifePoint, my prayer is that we would press into godliness for, for more of him. Again, you're not earning your salvation. If you're not saved yet, you need to be saved first. You can't earn it by doing the disciplines. But for those of us, how incredible to spend 12 weeks pressing into the disciplines of godliness, of holiness, and to come back at the end of this summer and say, man, we've had a lot going on. There's a lot, a lot schedules been crazy, vacations, but here's what we know. We have gotten more of God. Our families have gotten more of God. My relationship with him is sweeter. It's grown. That should be a goal of yours. I hope it is. I pray that it is. Now, here's what I want to do. Uh, we do things a little bit different at my campus, and since I'm here, we're, that's what we're going to step into for a moment uh, for our response time. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and I'm going to come back up, and I'm going to lead you through a response time. And I know that's different than you normally do. Normally, you pray, and y'all peace out, or they come up and play a song, and you peace out while Travis is singing, and he's like, D don't leave. You laugh, but that's what, exactly what you do. You're like looking around. Here's what I want to do. I want, to, I, I, want to, I want you to step into what we're doing as campuses for a little bit, and I'm going to come back after the prayer. Stay seated. I'm going to lead you through a response time, and then we're going to sing together a prayer together, okay? Uh, that's what we're going to do. So hang tight. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. And we need you desperately. And uh, 
God, I pray if there's someone in the room that has tried the church thing, they've tried the disciplines and they've come up empty because they haven't done it through salvation or as a result of salvation, I pray that today, God, you would save them. Open the eyes that are spiritually blind. Bring to life spiritually dead hearts. Oh, they might be highly religious. They might do the lists, but they're dead. So would you bring them to life today? God, I pray that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit have his way in us so that we might be a people that obey you in the habits and the disciplines so that we can become more like Jesus work and move and stir and have your way in us. For the believer in here, God, I pray that over the next months, three months, that you would have them press into toil and striving to be more like Jesus. God, we love you. We need you. We ask that you would um, help us in this, God. We need you in a mighty, mighty way. In Christ's name we pray, amen.